This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 87, recorded on February 12th, 2018. I am your host, Matt Lyons, and on this week's episode, we'll be talking about the idea of trading Edmund and Carson you Darvish's contract with the Cubs, and the fact that pitchers and catchers report in, it's, it's just days at this point, we're under a week, um, and of course, we'll be taking your questions. Before we get into all that, I want to thank everybody listening live now on Facebook or wherever or whenever you may be tuning in. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, and consider leaving us a review, a comment, something, just let us know you're listening. And joining me for all that and more is none other than Mr. Jason Lucart. Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I have realized, I mean, I've kind of been aware of this for a while. Uh, I'm really desperate for actual baseball, not even spring training, because that, that's like not even actual baseball to me. Um, this has been like my least favorite offseason ever, uh, and I'm desperate for it to come to an end and have actual baseball. So part of me is really excited pitchers and catchers are reporting, but realistically, I'm really excited for like six weeks from today. I'm always excited for the beginning of spring training. The first couple games are exciting, and then maybe one or two that are broadcast I'll watch, but it's very quickly it goes from, hooray, there's baseball, to this isn't really baseball. Every single yeah. year, even a year like this where it's been so slow, um, which I mean, the Indians are never usually that exciting in the off season, but there's just nothing else to follow in baseball, which kind of sucks. And then I did, um, one thing I was going to do today was go through and like watch all the condensed games. That was my idea to kind of tie myself over for baseball, but apparently MLB TV doesn't have them. They're not available or something, but, um, so I can't do that. So I'm basically screwed until baseball starts. <laughs> Could be taught like one or two fake games in March, and then just wait until April, basically. Do you uh, do you watch the Olympics at all? Not really. I try to. I try to like curling. It's kind of neat, but I the only thing I used to watch in the Winter Olympics is hockey. But I don't really care about that when it's not the NHL players. So, what about you? I've watched a little bit. I mean, I used to like when I was younger watch them a ton, and then I feel like the last couple I've barely watched any. I've watched a little bit more than this time. Um, but yeah, I can never get totally into it. I can never to- like I can only I can never flip the switch entirely. Sport that I don't care about at all for three years and eleven and a half months, and then convince myself I really care for for two weeks. <laughs> I'll tell you the real thing, the real sport. I'm going to call it a sport to watch on TV right now is the Westminster Dog Show. I just realized today it started today, and I'm a little, I'm a little upset that it started on the podcast day. <laughs> but I have a recorded now to watch the whatever happens. Yeah, it's kind of short, so you can get back to that. I'll understand. You know, I, <laughs> you gotta... this is a really short episode, ten, 10 minutes tops, and we're out. <laughs> but so some stuff did kind of happen with the Indians. Um, not even happened, but. Rumored to maybe almost sort of could have been happened. Um, the Indians were apparently shopping Edwin Encarnacion, or the Red Sox asked about him and refused a player. Uh, the weird thing about this, if you if anybody saw him, let's go try. We talked about it earlier this week. Is that um, in the middle of just kind of an article about the the free agents not signing in a way? There was a part about J.D. Martinez and how frustrated he was with the Red Sox reportedly, and then just sort of right below that was a nice little from an anonymous source familiar with the matter kind of thing. Is that the Red Sox um, sent? Who was it? Like I think Bob Nightingale was the one who said it. That the Indians, they they apparently were in talks with the Red Sox about trading Edmund Encarnacion, and the Red Sox just didn't want to give up Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, that whole thing is a rumor in itself. But before getting into the actual rumor, I I thought it was interesting the fact that when that came out, the fact that it came out at all, and just how much it seems like there was just some Red Sox executive who said we want to get some leverage over JD Martinez. So we're going to go to Bob Nightingale, tell him that we talked to the Indians about Edwin Encarnacion, 
and just see if that helps us at all. Which, in a way, is kind of throwing the Indians under a bus because it looks like they're trying to shop Edwin, even if they're not. Um, if the Indians went to them or the Red Sox went to the Indians, just the way it was in the post makes it seem like the Red Sox um, were asking about Encarnacion, and they just did not want to give up their their good guy Jackie Bradley Jr. So they coming out they come out looking like the good guy no matter what, but they also have a leverage over um, JD Martinez all of a sudden. So that whole thing was weird. Um, what do you think about just the idea of trading Edwin Encarnacion? Is there any chance, any reason the Indians could, or any reason they would? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think there there are if they can make the team better, they can make the team better, and I think there's a reasonable chance Jackie Bradley Jr. on the whole uh, is a better value the next two years. So, but in terms of fit, uh, you know, it'd be a little weird to trade away their big free agent signing who who had a pretty good year and who has a lot of power. Um, I don't know. I feel like the Indians outfield is just such a weird situation where like it feels like the weak part of the team. But more because it's three, I guess four, really, with the platoon and right. It's just a lot of question marks, and no one seems likely to be great. But there's also nothing feels like a huge black hole to me, where like you're whatever you add is you know you're you're really adding over replacement. Um, I don't know. It, it would be a weird. It would be a, to me a weird team trade for the Indians um, in terms of the dynamics of like how it comes out. Yeah, I, I think. Every front office has a reporter or two they know they can get something into the paper with. Um, I don't think that means things get made up. I feel like if they're making things up involving other teams, the other teams would probably push back some. Uh, oh, no, know, I don't think it was made up at all. I think it was very real. It was just weird that it came out right then. Yeah. No, like, yeah, I, I think, you know, how serious the discussions were, what else was involved, anything like that. Um, which is why, you know, and we've talked about this before, I think the longer you pay close attention to the offseason, the harder it is to take much of it seriously because you've seen so many things like this, you know, where there's there's a little smoke, uh, but certainly not any fire. And on the um, <clears throat> the outfield looking weird part, where was I going with this? I seem like every episode I forget something. Oh, so Paul Hoynes. He actually had an idea of what the trade could have been, which I think makes a little bit of sense, at least, that the Indians, they were reported looking at Lorenzo Cain, and then he went away because the Brewers signed him. So he thought maybe it was something like the Indians doing a three-way trade with the Red Sox and the Brewers. But I guess if it got that far, maybe I would like Domingo Santana more than Jackie Bradley Jr. for Edwin. But that's just all getting into, like, crazy land talk at that point, I think. So it's not – I mean, like you said, if they can improve the team by trading Edwin, I think they would. I don't think Jackie Bradley Jr. was the alone alone way to improve the team because the outfield just isn't terrible. Like you said, he isn't a huge upgrade over anybody, um, which is part of the reason the offseason has been so boring. There's no position that's like, I can't wait to see what the Indians do to improve it. They're all just either great or they're good enough to not really need improved. So right. one big reason it's been so boring, but it's also a good reason. It's another reason the Indians have such a great team going into the season. So. I guess I'll take that over an exciting offseason. I agree. And so, I mean, one of the things we were going to talk about is, you know, it's it's sort of projection season and uh, Pakoda, which for a lot of people is the big one, came out this week. Um, and we don't need to get into the minutia of player projections, but the, the standings, uh, surprise, surprise, have the Indians projected to win 97 games, to, to win the division by 16 games. Um, so, you know, like you were saying, having – a team without any glaring weaknesses is a much 
better problem than uh, a boring off season. Yeah, so let's just get into spring training, actually. I was going to do that later, but I'd rather just do it now because I don't really want to talk about you, Darvish, right away. So <laughs> the Indians, like you said, Bakota really likes them. We're just a couple days away. Pitchers and catches on the 14th, position players on the 18th. Um, right now it's exciting. It won't be soon. Um, what are at least like one or two things you're looking forward to looking at in spring training just with the team in general? There, like, just, there isn't a ton of big position battles, but just – kind of what could be interesting to watch for the Indians trying to make March seem like it's worth anything than just pre-baseball. Yeah. I, like, I don't know if this is a, a really good answer or a really bad answer. I guess I'm honestly just looking to see what sort of goofing around they do. There was the, uh, Yonder Alonso thing, uh, you know, that you wrote up about, uh, him <laughs> pretty successfully pranking some of his teammates at, uh, what was it? Was it tribe fest or something else? Yeah, it was tribe fest. And uh, by standing in line like a fan and then, uh, you know, his teammates not knowing him very well yet. Um, I don't know. I, because, like you said, there aren't really position battles. I mean, to the extent that there are, it's like, you know, seventh guy in the bullpen, fifth outfielder. Uh, you know, I guess the, the fifth starter is sort of up in the air. So I guess that's the one we can come back to in a minute and spend a little more time on it. Um, but I don't have a lot of roster curiosity at this point um and again i think that's fine but it's another reason i really just want opening day to get here uh, what about you what are you looking for well before we get to that that yonder alonzo video that was hilarious but it's also the the baseball's marketing kind of issue i wonder if after alonzo took all the stuff off i wonder how many people in the stand or not the stands but like in line for the autographs realized that was actually yonder alonzo i wonder if there's still any other like what is this guy doing with his wig this random guy <laughs> Yeah, but I, I, mean, a lot like. I mean, that's not Mike Trout. I mean, who who's right. I mean, the NBA is great at marketing its stars, but who's the equivalent of Yonder Alonso? And, you know, it's like the a new eighth man on the roster or something like that. I don't think most fans in any sport recognize a newcomer to the team who's, you know, who's not a star. Right. Right. And that video was great. And like you, I want to see other kind of screwing around things they do. What is this? They've done like... um I swear they have a summer running series they do every spring training. Is it the mean tweets? Maybe that's yeah. They usually have players reading mean social media messages about them. Um, yeah. There's some other good ones. The Indians have had pretty good social media for a while, and uh, Joel, who we've had on the podcast, I know he's not in the same position anymore, but I, I'm sure the social media work will still be pretty strong. Oh yeah, and so the thing I'm looking forward to, one of them is I want to see if Jason Kittmas will really be the starting second baseman, which I know is kind of a thing that at this point it's, unless he's mysteriously traded like at the last second, he's probably going to be the starting second baseman. But it doesn't seem like the Indians front office is completely locked into the idea. So at the very least, we have some kind of almost intriguing thing going on there. Because Mike Turnoff on ESPN Radio, I couldn't find the whole interview, but um, who was it? Aaron Goldhammer tweeted that he said, uh, Mike Chernoff on Jason Kidman starting at second base. He just said that's a challenging topic in the tweet, which I mean, he's not telling he's not lying, but if he was fully confident in just the fact that Jason Kidman would be second baseman, he'd probably just say, yeah, he's our second baseman. There's no reason to leave it even slightly ambiguous, but he kind of did. So I think that's going to at least leave something open because, of course, the idea has always been that Jose Ramirez can go to second, some kind of combination of Diaz and Urshela, Urshela at third, which we've, we've discussed to death. Neither of them are going to be great at third base, but. You just have to either think they'd be better than Jason Kipnis or something, but um, 
I think it is interesting that there is at least a tiny bit of chance that the Indians aren't completely committed to Jason Kidd as a second base. Or am I wrong? Do you maybe think that um, Mike Chernoff saying that it's a challenging topic? Is that not really him towing the fence as much as I think it is? Is he just being honest when in reality he's probably going to be the second baseman? Yeah, I could see either way. I, if he's not the starting second baseman, do you think it's more likely to be one of the other non-Ramirez third base options really impresses and and pushes their way into the lineup and pushes Kipnis out of the infield? Or do you think it's going to be because the outfield looks like such a mess that it feels like there's more room to keep Kipnis out there? Well, I think definitely if... Unless there's a trade, the trade is the top one for me, is that the only reason that J.C. Kipnis wouldn't be the second baseman. But if he is on the team, I don't think the outfield is going to be that much of a mess that they need J.C. Kipnis out there. Because at the very least, in the center, you have Bradley Zimmer, who can not be a mess on defense and can hit well enough, unless there's a ton of injuries. But I don't know anybody in center field who Jason Kipnis is a huge improvement over. And then, of course, Urshela and Yanni Diaz are not great either at third base, so there's not any real reason to bump him out there and then take the huge dip at third. So... If he is on the team, I think it will be just because he gets injured or he just is absolutely awful in spring training to take him off second base. But he would have to be so bad that without any kind of any other roster change, he's just out of second base that it would – he'd have to be really bad. I think there's a really yeah, big – I don't think there's any way a healthy right. Jason Kipnis isn't in the starting line at the beginning of the season. I don't, yeah. I don't think it's possible for him to play his way out of the lineup. So this is sort of, um, it's not really the, the fifth rotation spot, but a sort of way to lead into that. Um, at Patnay Hisrick on Twitter, he wanted to know, does Merritt, uh, Ryan Merritt, obviously, make any sense in the bullpen? That's the first part of his question there, um, which I guess, sure. <laughs> I don't know any pitcher that doesn't, that wouldn't make at least a little bit of sense in the bullpen. He's not like a typical bullpen pitcher, I guess, but sure. I don't think he's going to be in the rotation, and I don't think he has any options left. So it's either the bullpen or he's going to be claimed by somebody. Yeah, I don't know. Like you said, he doesn't mean he doesn't profile as the kind of guy you move from rotation to the bullpen. I feel like you, you know, someone like Danny Salazar has much more of that profile. Uh, you know, someone who has the stuff that you hope can stick as a starter. Uh, you know, but at some point maybe you feel like injuries or ineffectiveness, you know, into the middle innings of the game makes you feel like no, we should just let him rip it loose for like an inning at a time. Since Merritt that. Like I said, that's not his profile. It's, you know, seventh, eighth guy in the bullpen could be just about any guy, I guess. And, and in some cases, I can see you put a guy there just to keep him on the roster. Um, but I I wouldn't bet on Merritt in the bullpen. So let's talk that fifth uh, starter spot then. If it's probably not going to be Merritt, or I guess if you don't think he's going to be in the bullpen, do you think he's going to be that fifth starter spot or that he's going to be gone? Cause... I guess I think he's going to be gone. I don't <laughs> see him winning a spot in the rotation either. Yeah, because the Indians have, obviously, it's Kluber and Carrasco at the top, which are obvious deadlocks for starters. And then it's kind of Bauer and Salazar probably almost certainly are going to be starters. Well, Bauer, I don't think he's going to move to the pen. But Salazar, like you said, he's one who makes a lot of sense to move to the pen. So maybe. Um, but then there's also Tomlin and Clevenger. And if you want to count Merritt somewhere in that race in the back. So where do you think this is going to go? Because obviously they have the three, maybe four. And then the five could be anybody. They still like Josh Tomlin, obviously, who's been a starter for seems like a million years with the same team now. But <laughs> um, is this the year Mike Clevenger maybe comes up and is finally super good for a whole season and not just half and gets the walks down a little bit and can still strike everybody out? Yeah, I mean, whether he's super good or not, I don't know. But 
I do feel like he's done enough that I mean I I feel like it's it's, it's a little tough to sell him not in the rotation as the best possible rotation. You know, I know you have a little more flexibility with him, but uh, I don't think the Indians are in a position where they should really be fussing with the starting rotation for, you know, service time and options and that sort of thing. And I've been a big Tomlin supporter over the years relative to a lot of people. Um, But, yeah, to me, uh, you know, Kluber, Carrasco, Bauer, Salazar, Clevenger is what makes the most sense. And to me, Tomlin's best shot is something about Salazar screaming out, it's time for, for him to be in the bullpen instead. Um, and it's hard to know what that would be during spring training, because if he's healthy, he's in the starting rotation, I think. And uh, the only thing that would make you think that's not going to work is an injury. But if he's injured, then he's on the DL, probably not in the bullpen. And then maybe when he came back from the DL, you'd feel like, all right, let's just move him to the bullpen. Especially, not that they should be using the roster this year to plan for next year, but given that Miller and Allen are probably, are both almost certainly gone after this year, you know, Danny Salazar is a potential fantastic back-of-the-bullpen guy, would make a lot of sense for 2019, I think. Um... But I tend to feel like I, I guess I think Tomlin's the one who gets squeezed. So yeah, the only other minor spring training thing I had will be kind of interesting, I think, is um, how do Yonder and Lonzo and Edwin Encarnacion split up first base defense? Is it going to be 100% Yonder and almost nothing Edwin? Because I think last year it, was, it wasn't quite an even split. It was still a lot of Carlos, but Edwin still got to play first base quite a bit. So I don't know how much that will be answered in spring training. I'm sure we'll get to see Yonder and Lonzo work a lot at first base, and maybe Edwin will not get as much play – as much play on the field as he's getting older. So, um, I mean, Edwin didn't play that much first base. I, I feel like he was yeah, there. He a little bit. I mean, some, but I think he played like 20, 25 games. I think it was basically like one game a week. I'm totally not looking it up right now. Um, <laughs> that is definitely not what I'm doing. Spring training is very interesting. Well, um, you don't look it up. I'll <laughs> say I expect Alonzo to play as much first base as Santana did. And, Encarnacion to play about the same amount, which I'm pretty sure means only about one game a week at first base. Uh, and when you get done not looking it up, <laughs> it's 23 you, games. <laughs> yeah, so you I would around. expect it to be pretty similar. Alonzo's defense, I've read very mixed reports on. My sense is that it's going to be uh, a downgrade from Santana, um, but that it would still be better than we'd likely get from Encarnacion. I guess part of it is, you know. A lot of players really don't like DHing. Uh, you know, Santana didn't want to DH. Um, but I also wonder if some players feel like I'd rather just DH than go back and forth and back and forth. In other words, not that I love DHing, but at least like if that's just my role every time I can get into a set routine. I feel like there's got to be a lot of players who sometimes playing first place, sometimes not just becomes more of a distraction. Um, and I don't know where Edwin lands on that, but I, I, I would expect a pretty similar timeshare that we saw with Santana, which would mean, you know, Yonder's at first base five days a week. Yeah, if Edwin wants to play first base, so bad, I think we have an issue if he's... Because <laughs> he's not a great first baseman when he does play. So I would hope that he's good with once in a while. He's He hasn't played more than like... Yeah, he's never played more than like 80 games ever as a first baseman in a season. 
Yeah, I mean, he played more first base with Toronto. But yeah, like you said, but at, it wasn't at most he was like a half-time yeah. first baseman. It's funny, at the beginning of his career, he was a third baseman. Yeah, with the Reds, he played almost a full season at third base. Two full seasons, wow. It wasn't good, but he was there. <laughs> he was definitely standing there at third base. Um, so yeah, that's that's spring training. It's exciting for now. It's coming. Um, there's not a whole lot else happening. The only thing that did happen so far is finally somebody signed. It wasn't with the Indians, but it was you, Darvish, of the club, the Cubs. Six years, 126 million. Um, this is a clear sign, Jason, that the the owners are colluding. They're against baseball. Baseball is doomed. Or what do you think of you, Darvish's contract here to the Cubs? I think uh, 31 years old, coming off Tommy John a couple of years ago. So. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he's shown that he's pretty well recovered, so I don't think there should be a big Tommy John penalty against him. I think the age is a significant thing. Um, his contract was very mildly lighter than I would have guessed going into the offseason, uh, but not so much so that it feels like, uh, you know, he's really been sold short. Uh, if anything, I'm a little surprised he got six years. I would have guessed a five-year deal for a little more per season than he got. Uh, which on the whole isn't that far off from what he did get. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how quickly things may be domino now that one of the big guys signed. Um, you know, at least among the pitching market, uh, it would make sense. I mean, guys are going to be in camp, like, tomorrow in, in, for some teams. And a lot of guys are already down there. It's, it's – I, I don't – I'm not saying I think there's, like – you know, 1985 through 1987 collusion going on. I do think it's a little weird that it's been so different from other off seasons. I know there's a lot of talk about, you know, everyone's got a smart front office now and, you know, they, they've realized that you don't usually get a great return on those huge contracts, but it's not like there weren't a lot of people who knew that last off season and last off season didn't feel, nothing has felt like this off season. Um, I think there's something a little weird, and I've you know I, I've read the a lot of the big guys are Scott Boris clients, and his clients are more likely to wait. And um, you know, if just one or two more big guys had signed, it wouldn't seem that weird by now. And um, I don't know. I like a lot of things, and I feel like this sort of makes me a bad baseball analyst or commentator. Or I have a hard time throwing myself fully into either extreme of, of the debate about it. Yeah. I think it's, it's like a perfect storm of so many things. Like if it was just that the fact that the start Boris clients, that probably wouldn't hold it up so much. If it was just the fact that it's kind of pretty good players, but not elite players that wouldn't hold it up as much. If it wasn't the fact that Bryce Harper and Manny Machado were coming next year, that wouldn't hold it up quite as much, but there's all these things coming at the exact same time. And then plus teams all, seemingly learning at the same time about not wanting to pay these over 30 players so much that it's just a really bad start. I think next year when like Bryce Harper gets a $500 million contract, we're going to forget all about it. But just so many things at the same time came together to make the offseason look so bad and so boring at the same time. And also, Genie Martinez isn't worth what is like 250000 that he wants. And Eric Hosmer, Eric Hosmer is not like eight years, 200 whatever thousand because he has gold gloves or whatever he thinks he's worth. So I think it's just a couple of players who are who way overshot what they thought their value this year, and they're not settling for what they could be making. There was also the fact that Logan Morrison, um, I think I saw this like late last night, the Indians had offered him, before they signed Alonzo, obviously, like two years, $20 million, which seems like a lot, but he turned it down. I don't know if he's going to get that at this point. So um, <clears throat> He might get something, but I don't know if he's going to get as much as he could have got from the Indians, which 
I'm kind of glad they got Leonardo Alonso instead for what they paid for him. So, yeah, I, I think uh, you know, I, like I said, I, I think you're right that there's a lot of factors that sort of tie into it. The the front office is getting smart is the one that I don't really buy because I just there's no reason that suddenly in one off season it, there would be a significant difference there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think all of the would be big players have more red flags than most off seasons big. Uh, but it's not just the big guys. I mean, it's the second tier guys. I mean, Carlos Santana signed his deal what feels like three years ago to me now. Um, and almost no one in that tier has signed. Uh, and I know there's always some amount of waiting for the biggest domino to fall. But uh, I don't know. It's been a strange offseason. I, I do think the, the players union has, has done a pretty terrible job in recent negotiations. Uh, and you know, has sort of allowed a pretty bad situation for them to develop. But that's mostly about, uh, you know, rookies and, and guys who haven't even reached arbitration are just staggeringly underpaid. Um, and I know as an Indians fan, a small market fan, like there's some amount of like, oh, well, my team benefits from that. So I guess it's okay. But like realistically, the minimum salary should be way higher uh, and players I think should be hitting arbitration way faster. Uh, and I feel like in the next round of, of negotiations, which I want to say is after the 2020 season, um, I think the players union needs to kind of get their acts back together. Well, they're eventually going to have to stop trying to pay themselves basically, because they're always so focused on getting the veterans paid. They never, it never makes sense for them to cover like rookies. They don't care if, I mean, they don't they don't represent the minors at all, but it's the younger players. They never really care to get more money. It's always they're wanting to get these over thirty guys paid more, but that's not going to happen. The only way they're going to get paid more money is to just bite the bullet and accept the fact that, like you said, arbitration ought to hit sooner. They're going to get have to get paid more from the minimum wage. So I don't know how motivated they are to do that necessarily. Yeah, I, th I mean, I think a big part of the problem is they don't have real union leadership. Tony Clark. I mean, I, you know, I'm. I, that's not his his training. You know, Marvin Miller's background was not okay first baseman at the major league <laughs> level. Uh, you don't need Tony Clark. You need Marvin Miller. And I think you know they've gotten away from having a real uh, you know labor lawyer leadership. Uh, I think a lot of the players have focused on things like the you know at least you know again this is just what I read from people who I think would know better than I do. But a lot of you know focus on. Things like who gets to fly in the airplane and there's a chef in the clubhouse and they focused on a little, a lot of like fairly minor quality of life things while allowing the owners to win on a lot of the much more significant things. Uh, you know, MLB revenues have gone up by like five times as much in the last 15, 20 years as player salaries have. Like owners are just getting richer and richer uh, and most fans are fine with that. Most fans... Whether they're whether they would think of it this way or not, side with owners in this stuff, um, and you know the players need to do a better job. The owners aren't going to give them more than they have to, and the front offices have figured out these big contracts. The guys in their thirties aren't really the best way to win. Uh, you know the players need to figure out a new structure that's going to work better for them. So David B. Wilkerson in the chat. Um, he has any thoughts on Buster Olney's Can the Indians Sustain a Contender piece on ESPN.com? As it turns out, <laughs> that was one thing we were going to talk about. Um, we kind of added it late because I completely forgot about it. I didn't even think of it as a 
a real thing. It was just kind of one of Buster Olney's basically his news and notes things like we do on Let's Go Tribe. It was just the main story. But um, if anybody had a chance to read it, it was from Buster a couple days ago on ESPN, of course. It basically boils down to without reading the whole thing. Um, Buster Olney contends that the Indians, uh, they're strapped for cash. Their current core will become too much to pay for. And the Indians, they aren't getting an attendance to, to maintain their, I guess not even maintain their payroll to expand it eventually to be a, a real contender, as he calls it. Um, he thinks after 2018, they might turn into the Pirates, which was still having a relatively young and intact core, but no way to expand it. So you just have to sell off. Um, he sandwiches it with a weird like tie into the Chief Wahoo going away. I don't get that. He started it with Chief Wahoo's going away, but that shouldn't be the biggest story of the, the, the summer. And then he ends it with the same thing. So I didn't get that. But his whole story about the attendance, it's just if he doesn't see the Indians, he doesn't see Cleveland in general saying they can, they can uh, sustain a winner. So do you agree with that, Jason? Is it a, a terrible point? Can Cleveland... He also brings up the uh, the 455 sold out in a row streak the Indians had in the 90s, saying the Indians can't do that again, or Cleveland can't sustain that again, obviously. Um, so what do you think of this, Buster Olney's piece? Uh, yeah, I mean, the 455 is not coming back, but I don't think there's... To the extent that there's a segment of the Indians fans who who talk about that, it's a pretty... It's a tiny, tiny fraction at this point. I think uh, Cleveland people understand why it's not coming back and understand that it's fine that that's not coming back. I, I, I do think it's disappointing that a team as good as the Indians have been the last couple of years can't even crack the top 20 in attendance. Um, you know, that said, attendance last year was up almost 6,000 people from the year before, which is a significant bump. Um, Major league teams have more and more money coming in that's not from ticket sales and merchandise at the stadiums. So it's not. I don't think there's any chance the Dolans are at risk of losing money uh, You know, if they run out there with a $130 million payroll or so. Uh, you know, in... Do I think they could potentially make even more money in another market? Yeah, I think probably they could, um, at least for the amount of time that they would want to hold on to the team. Um, but I don't think that means there's much chance of the team actually being moved. Um, you know, I don't know. He, he, again, he brings up the attendance, but sort of glosses over the fact that it went way up. Um I actually, like three years ago, was sort of concerned about the future of, of, of Cleveland hosting a baseball team. But I think them doing as well as they have recently, payroll going up from, you know, I think like $80 million at the start of the 2013 season when they made the wildcard game uh, to like $125 million. I mean, the payroll went up like over 50% in like a three or four year span. Um I don't know. I, I'm less concerned than I was a, a few years ago. Well, I don't um, – I think I could go back if I tried and look at the tapes enough. I'm pretty sure I could find last year where at some point you said um, just because the Indians won the World Series, it wouldn't mean attendance and stuff would go up. I'm almost positive you said that at some point because <laughs> I remember specifically holding on to that and thinking every time it went up, like, oh, yeah, Jason, take that, Jason. It did. I have a hard time believing it would have said it wouldn't have gone up at all. I'm sure I would have said uh, crack the top ten or anything. I'd yeah. be happy for you to track down uh, and and be called wrong if I if I say right now that I wouldn't have said it would have gone up at all. And um, so, friend of the podcast, we can call him that now, Joel Hammond, who, like you said, is not 
Uh, he doesn't work for the Indians anymore, so now he just spends his time on Twitter viciously defending the Indians, which is really great. Um, he quoted the the Buster Olney post and said, the Indians had the highest attendance jump in 2017. They had the highest TV ratings in baseball, which are two kind of big things that Buster Olney glanced over. Like you said, um, you said it was a big bump. It was the biggest bump in baseball. So they did make a huge jump after winning the World Series. Um, are they going to be worth seeing, but they're going to have they should, in theory, have an easy control of the division for the next few years, which is another reason they're not paying so much money. They don't need to right now. They're facing, like, the Twins and half of a White Sox team. They don't need to spend a ton of money to get into the playoffs. Yeah, and, and I don't think but, but I don't think – I think they're pretty close to their ceiling even if they were in the AL East. I don't think if they were in the AL East, they'd have signed you Darvish. Right. But I mean, they, don't, they don't have to. If they were in the AL East, they might have had to and yeah, they might fall out of contention. There's a difference between – I think what I agree with you is the Indians aren't in danger of falling off a cliff after this season. But I don't think, you know, when other teams in this division do eventually get their act together, I don't think we're going to see the Indians operating at a higher level financially than they are right now. I think they're pretty close, you know, inflation aside, I think they're pretty close to what we'll see as their ceiling. Uh, And for this year, and I think for 2019, uh, I think that's plenty enough for them to be pretty significant favorites. I mean, the bullpen's going to be drastically different after this year, but they're still, barring barring injuries, which could happen to any team, they're still going to have a fantastic starting rotation. They're still going to have a really good infield. Um, you know, other than the bullpen, they're not going to be dramatically different in 2019 than 2018. Um, you know, I could see by 2020 things starting to shift a bit. And I don't know if he means can the Indians maintain a contender? Does he mean like can they be like the Yankees and have a winning record every year for you know thirty years and you know make the playoffs nine out of every ten seasons? Then no, I, I think he's right. They can't. But uh, I don't know why that should be the standard we're we're expecting from the Indians. If the Indians can have a you know a good four or five year stretch. Uh, and then do what they've done a couple times in the last 15 years, which is, you know, go through a down cycle, but it doesn't last that long. I, to me, that would be a completely successful Cleveland Major League Baseball team. I do think it'll be interesting to see if they do win, um, even if it's not the World Series, if they do win a lot this season, what it will do to the payroll. If you're right that they're completely cash-strapped, or maybe we haven't seen the, the highest end of... <coughs> The Indians, um, the ownership group that they got to add on to, who was already there, because remember that their whole reason to come on was supposedly to get the Indians more money. So maybe we just haven't seen the top end of that yet, which would be exciting. So and we won't know for a couple of years. I don't think. I don't. I don't think it's completely impossible to think they are at their ceiling, no matter what. But I think there is also at least a little bit of chance that they could be willing to pay more when they have to. I think. I think even if they wanted to pay more, they're a smart enough front office where they're not going to until they absolutely have to pay more. Whether that's now or like midseason when they want somebody who's expensive, like Manny Machado to get him at the midseason and take his payroll or whatever, and then I don't know. But there's, I do think there's at least a chance they could pay more money, which is exciting. Which is something the Indians haven't had in a long time. Which combined with the winning is making it really fun to watch the Indians in baseball right now. And the other thing that Buster only brought up that was weird, <clears throat> excuse me, speaking of the bullpen, was his biggest. Um, reason for the the attendance might be dropping is that Andrew Miller and Cody Allen are going away in a couple years. Like, that's all he had at the beginning. <laughs> that and the fact that Francisco Lindor is hitting arbitration, which the Indians can probably still pay. Um, but I don't think losing two 
granted, very exciting relievers is going to cost the Indians a ton of attendance, Buster. I don't think that's a thing. I don't remember him. I I don't have it in front of me. I don't remember him saying that the, the loss of the relievers specifically. But coming back to the attendance and, and coming back to whatever I may have said about it last year. Uh, and like I said, if you track it down, let me know what I did say. Um, do you expect attendance to go up again this year? Not a huge jump again, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a like 21st, 22nd overall. Like the Padres outdrew him last year. I wouldn't be surprised well, I mean, he mentioned the Padres. Overlooking the ranking, because that's dependent on what other teams are doing. So they drew 25,300 fans again last year. Do you expect it to be within a few hundred of that or up by more than half a thousand people or down by more than half a thousand people? I don't know about exact numbers, but I would think up, right? I don't know. I kind of think down. Do you think the World Series I, was like a, a massive part of that boost then? Which makes yeah, sense, yeah. I, I think, I mean, so many people, This the second the Indians lost the ALDS to the Yankees, we're talking about what a failure the season was. I feel like no one... As disappointed as people were, I don't feel like people walked away from losing Game 7 of the World Series feeling like the season was a failure. But I feel like, I don't know about most, but because I don't interact with that many like truly typical Indians fans, because I mostly interact with people who are, you know, on the internet talking about baseball, the team, which, which is a little different. But I think a huge number of Indians fans view last season as a failure. Oh, yeah, I think that's fair. I think a lot of them also viewed it as a failure right afterwards, and they might be over it now. I think that happens every single year. I don't know how many fall off um, based on a failure of a season. I think more get gained by a good season than fall off by a bad season. Well, yeah. I Overall, the Indians still had a good season last think, year. I don't think it's going to drop back to what it was two years ago. Um, but if I was betting up or down, I would bet on attendance being down this year. And but, and. I will try to remember that I said this. So <laughs> through this season, if attendance is up, uh, feel free to point it out. So the last thing about Buster, I'm absolutely losing my voice. So I'm going to do this, and then we'll get to an email that we have. Um, but he basically said, the Indians' challenge is to maintain a competitive team will grow in the next few years. Their best relievers, Miller and Allen, will be free agents this fall. That was his first big point about how the Indians will struggle to grow in the next few years which i don't think is true but that's not but he's not saying that in terms of attendance he's just saying in terms of the quality of the team but the the quality of the team he was linking back to keeping attendance so i, I guess it's not directly but well, but i think that's a legitimate link i mean the quality of the team does affect the attendance yeah. i just think the bigger to me the bigger issue than the attendance is how good will the team be and i think losing the relievers will hurt but he's arguing that they could be the pirates after this year and that I totally disagree with. I still think, again, if you know everyone's healthy, the Indians are, by a significant margin, still the best team in 2019. You know, right? Again, the Twins are projected to be like 16 games worse than them. Miller and Allen are great. They're not 16 wins worth of great. And the Twins aren't getting 16 wins better between this year and next year. Yeah. So I think he's way off base in thinking that this year is. I think this is this year is the best shot because of those guys in the bullpen. Um, but just in terms of winning the division, I would I would happily bet right now on the Indians winning the division in 2019 as well. Oh yeah, how how far do you want to take that? Are we? I'd say 2019 as well. 2020? That's not. Are we getting into the point where it could be either way between them and like the White Sox? Or are you still pretty I, confident? Yeah, the White Sox have so much young talent that you know the, the Cubs' talent came together so fast. Yeah. Uh, you know things can happen pretty quickly when you have that kind of talent on the farm, and the White Sox are also a team that. 
if properly motivated, can can outspend the Indians if it comes down to it. Um, Jerry Reinsdorf is not a big spender, um, you know, but I think under the right circumstances. Uh, and yeah, you know, the Twins, you know, in, in two seasons could be a dozen wins better, certainly, and the Indians, you know, could certainly drop off five wins to make a difference. So yeah, I think by 2020, you get into, not that I think the Indians are going to be a mess by then, but there's enough there's enough possibilities on other teams in the division not for me to feel super confident. So before my voice box completely collapses, uh, we got a really nice email from Sid Cawthorn, who, by the way, you can always email us. Uh, you can either email at mattr.lions at gmail.com. That's my email. Or sbnletsgotribe at gmail.com. Um, but Sid, he said, good afternoon, Matt. First and foremost, I really enjoy the show. I was born and raised in Mississippi and moved to Houston after college, but somehow I have been a diehard Indians fan since I was about seven years old. I blame it on Kenny Lofton and the fact that they were the best team to play on Triple Play 97, which you talked about in the podcast before. That's why I'm a fan of most things is from video games. Um, he said, anyways, I really appreciate all the time you guys put into the podcast and the fun, great articles you write. Keep up the good work. Uh, thank you, Sid. And he had two questions for us. The first one, he said, what do you think about the Indians pursuing Carlos Gonzalez for outfield depth? Do you think it's possible or even a good idea? No one is talking about him, and it would seem he picked up relatively cheap. I read that he was having sleeping problems the last couple seasons that led to his awful output for the Rockies. Seems to me it could be worth the gamble. Um, so, Jason, what do you think? Carlos um, Gonzalez. I kind of like that one. I wrote about it before about the Indians. Um, who was left, basically, they could pick over in the outfield. That was kind of one I suggested it could be. If they can get him for like a minor league deal or super cheap, then there's no reason not to. He could be a really good fifth outfielder if they need him to, maybe even a starter here and there. Oh, I'd, I'd put him way above that. If, if you just gave me the option of snapping my fingers and replacing our right field situation with him, I would do that. Uh, I think he'll be better than Chisenhall this year. But I also don't think he's going to – I mean, as deflated as the market seems to be, in the end, I don't think he's settling for anything like a minor league deal. Uh, I think he'll get money. Uh, I think he'll either get like a, a deal pretty similar to Alonzo's or I actually think what's a little more likely is he takes a one-year deal. But – I think he's taking a one-year deal. He's still getting like, I think, ten million or so on it. Uh, ten million. And I don't, I don't think that kind of money makes sense because he's not a big enough upgrade. I'd rather if the Indians do have another ten million dollars in the budget for this year, I would rather just wait till closer to the deadline, see what feels like a need then, and try to add payroll through a trade. Yeah, I'm gonna go on record as saying I don't think he's gonna get ten million. <laughs> he's 32 and had a really awful season last season. Um, if it is a sleeping problem, then maybe it's something easy to fix. I think Mike Napoli was another one, right, who had – he slept in like a chamber or whatever for a long time. So yeah, I mean, but... his numbers at the end of last year were fantastic. And mm -hmm. I don't think there's any reason to think he's going to do that over the full season. Uh, I think his track record is, is way too good for him to be settling for, for much less than that. Someone on a one-year deal uh, – I, if we could pick the midpoint between a minor league deal and a $10 million deal, I would happily bet on him being closer to $10 million. So Sid's next question is actually, I think, really interesting. I've never heard it. I'm sure it's been brought up somewhere, but I've never heard it. Um, he said, my wife is an avid runner and often comments on how poor baseball players running form can be when running the bases. A better form could decrease their time running to first. Do you think it would benefit the tribe to teach their players better form when running? Um, so the first part there, I mean, is that a thing? Do they have poor form running to first base and does it matter a whole lot, you think? Uh, I don't know. I, I have a lot of questions about this question. One of which is when I hear someone referred to as an avid runner, <laughs> I'm picturing someone who runs like 10Ks and half marathons and, and things like that, which is 
a totally different sort of running than, uh, you know, sprinting somewhere between 90 and 360 feet. Um, so one, you know, depending on how she, his wife is viewing it, uh, I don't even know if she's looking at it through the right lens. She might be, um, but I, I don't know. I have a, for one thing, I, I, on the one hand, I've never thought about it before. And so I'm sure a lot of people have never thought about it before. But I'm hard-pressed to think no one who works for a baseball team has never thought about it before. So it feels like one of those things, if there was much there, someone would have done something about it by now. Um, I suspect it's, you know, to the extent that guys could be sprinting somewhat more efficiently. Because another difference is, even if she's a sprinter, like sprinting 100 meters in a straight line is not really what baseball players are doing. You know, you, you, you're, you're running out of the box, you're, you're, you're reading the pitch, um, you know, you're, you're running with a curve because, you know, unless you're running just straight to first base, you're, you're not stopping when you get somewhere or being able to run straight through it at second or third base. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of reasons to think that, well, like you, I think it's an intriguing question because I've never thought about it before. Uh, I guess I'm pretty confident there's probably not actually much there. Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't, um, what else was I going to say? I don't know. There was something there. <laughs> as long as Zimmer isn't diving head first in the first, I don't think I care really how they run. Um, if you could call me not an avid runner, um, <laughs> but if you're a long distance runner, does can you still kind of tell their form is bad over a sprint or is that like a completely different thing? I don't really know. No, I mean, I, I think I think someone who runs marathons could recognize poor form in sprinting if they've studied sprinting. And so even if his wife is a long-distance runner, she might totally know what she's talking about when she talks about running from spring. But again, I just it, it feels like, given what we do know, which is that teams don't seem to be, at least that we know of, no, no one's bringing in Olympic sprinters, it doesn't seem like, uh, either the the amount of time they could save is so incredibly minimal or the possibility of, of actually teaching a bunch of grownups to change their stride. Uh, you know, it could be as simple as it's just like one more thing to think about and you're, you're not trying to complicate things. Um, like I said, I, 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 it's, a, it's a super neat question that I bet the answer is there's not much to be had there. If anything, I'm kind of surprised that more people haven't taken up um, what Ichiro did for so long. Is that bat left-handed and swing and lean into the run? Because like he wasn't originally a left-handed hitter. He switched because he could do that. Uh, I know everybody can't just switch like Ichiro did, but I'm surprised we don't see more left-handers swinging and leaning into their run like he does. Maybe that's just a thing that's super hard to do, I assume? Yeah, I think that's a thing that's probably super hard to do. <laughs> Which is another reason that Ichiro is just freaking amazing, but... <laughs> but anyway, thank you, Sid. Um, that was a good question. That was a good couple of questions. I like those. Um, so, Jason, anything else before we talk again next week? No, like 24 hours of enjoying having seen pictures of people playing catch in Arizona, followed by six weeks of let's get on with it. And the Westminster Dog Show, Jason. Don't forget that one. You can watch that on repeat all month if you want. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll wait to catch the highlights from you. <laughs> talk to you later, everybody. 